Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right, well, let's dive into the word today. That was really loud. Sorry. Um, Today, we're going to continue on with Pastor Steve's sermon series, Love Gives. And today, we're talking about how love gives radical hope. How many could use a dose of radical hope today? Just Just a few of you? Just a few of you? Oh, that's good. God heard that. Everybody else, he heard you inside too. <laughs> um, radical hope. What is the radical hope of Jesus? And I, and I had some thoughts about that. Some of them are uh, a little radical. The radical hope of Jesus is that in the wake of humanity's self-destructive nature, how many of you know that as a human, we, we make bad decisions sometimes? In your life, can you say that every decision that you've made has been a good one, or have there been a few bad ones peppered in there? Just a few? Yeah, me too. But Jesus, in the wake of all that, our natural inclination towards sin, all of our stubbornness, our hard-hearted ways, that God himself would sacrifice his son to send Jesus to become a gift. I like to think about this every Advent season, that when Jesus came, he was God's gift wrapped in human flesh for all of us. Right? Right? The radical hope that Jesus had for us led him to humbly enter humanity and experience everything that we have. You know, he's not just described as the lion and the lamb. He's also called a man of sorrows, the son of suffering, lamb of God. Jesus had a radical hope that a fallen race would be able to hear him again. So Jesus took his Godhead, all of his rights as the son of God, and chose to tuck himself into a human body. And he had all the power and the rights of God, but chose on a minute-by-minute basis to limit those and live within the same constrictions that you and I do. Do That's a revelation that I think that we can continually digest, is that Jesus was the Son of God. Inherently, he had every right that he has always had for all eternity, the right to speak and create, to move supernaturally, to exist outside of the natural realm. He contained all of those rights, and those did not go away when he became human. It's not like a, a, an IRA or something you put away and not touch. He had access to it at every point. It says in the word that even when he was on the cross, he could have called for legions, thousands and thousands of angels to rescue him. He had that right, but he chose to limit himself. He chose to constrict himself to live like you and I lived. It's like a bird that was made to fly, but limits itself minute by minute to walk on the ground instead of fly. That is what Jesus did for you and for me. So this is not just, uh, he didn't heal people or perform all these wild miracles because out of the identity of his of the son of God he did it out of right relationship with God he showed us how to do it what does a perfect sinless life look like when the Lord and the Holy Spirit can live inside of us and move through us Jesus demonstrated that because he knew that the gift he would give us was his righteousness his blood he was going to be the one who made us right before the father so that we could live like Jesus absent of the perfection but becoming perfect because of his righteousness. You see, God knows the beginning, of, and the beginning and end of everything. He can't be, here's a, a surprise for you. He cannot be surprised or disappointed by you. 
He just can't because he knows exactly what you're going to do. He knew Judas would betray him and still he called him. And there is something about God's nature that is, it's radically hopeful to the point where he, he sacrificed it all so that you and I and everyone in the world for the history of humanity would have the chance to choose him. And he did this knowing that many would not choose him. Radical hope. How does radical hope exist when you have all the answers? It must be inherently who he is and something he gives to us. Hopefulness. Turn in your Bibles or your apps. Who's got paper Bibles? Wave them at me for a second. Let me see. Okay, you ready to go? Sword drill in three seconds. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Whoever gets there first, say hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Philippians chapter two, go. Apps, you don't count in this game. I mean, you can. Ah, oh, there we go. Yes, I love that. I haven't done a sword drill since I was a little kid. All right, let's go in uh, Philippians 2, verse 5. This section of scripture is titled, Be Like Christ. So in verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, remember, he had everything. He did not consider equality with God something to be seized or grasped, but he set aside his divine rights. He emptied, emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In verse 9, we continue on. It says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even the people in your life who haven't received this gospel message, who haven't received the Lord, haven't received Jesus, accepted his gift, they will bow to because he is glorious. Do me a favor. Close your eyes for a second. Turn your face towards heaven. I won't do this too long if some of you are up till two. But I just want us to take a moment and just recognize the presence of the Lord here. Acknowledge that he is here. And I want you to sing this with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, 
us adore him Christ the Lord will give and will give you all the glory will give you all the glory will give you all the glory Christ the Lord Holy Spirit we just acknowledge you in this place today we acknowledge your presence. Thank you for the bodies that are being healed right now. Thank you for the pain that's being decreased and banished. Thank you for the hope and the next steps. For those who came in didn't know what to do next, God, thank you that you're putting that idea of where to go next because you're a God who orders our steps. You lead us in the path of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You see, God, he's the creator and author of hope. You know, I, I think hope existed forever because he exists forever. So the manifestation of hope that we experience has always existed because it's a part of his nature. It's part of who he is. And radical hope for us, it's a part of heaven's currency. It comes with a revelation of the kingdom of God. It stirs within us the capacity for sacrificial love, and it stirs within us the faith to see God rightly. How many have enjoyed A.W. Tozer before, some of his works? Love A.W. Tozer. This is one of my favorite quotes from him. It says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So it got me thinking, how do Americans view God today? Not just us. You know, if I, if I walked out into this crowd today and I said, who is God to you? You, got, you would have so much to say. We've even had moments in worship where we opened the floor and said, who is God revealing himself to you as? When I get to travel for uh, song labs and kind of songwriting sessions, one of the things that we've done in worship is we declare in worship who God is revealing himself to us as in that moment, this specific moment of our life. And if you think about it right now, you will have a word that pops into your mind. Some of you, he's revealing himself as a father, some a healer, some as a deliverer, a rescuer, some as a companion. All the things that we carry and we face in this earth that bring struggle or difficulty, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And comforter means something different depending on where you are, right? When you hear that scripture, you probably think, Holy Spirit's a comforter. Oh, he hugs me and I feel toasties and warm inside. But are you going to feel that level of comfort if you're serving in the armed forces or, or the military and you, you're serving? Maybe a weapon would feel more comforting in that moment than a hug, right? The Lord gives us comfort depending on where we are and what we need. And he knows exactly where you are and what you carried in to this room this morning. And so he will reveal himself to you in that way because everything is contained within him and every part of his nature is an answer in response to whatever you are carrying. 
He'll supply all your needs, it says in, this, in the word, according to his riches in what? In glory in Christ Jesus. So when we worship, we get into the glory. Everything we need is right there. It's good. So back to Americans, what we think about God, maybe excluding some of us here. America's got four gods. It's a book that I saw, um, Christopher Bader wrote it. There's four different types. There's the authoritative God, which means that God's very engaged and very, very judgmental. Has anyone ever served the authoritative God in your walk with the Lord? He's very engaged in your life, and he's super critical all the time. Critical God, number two. Very removed from daily life, but will judge all after life. Three, a distant God. He sets the world in motion, then disengages. And then four is the benevolent God. This, this version is thoroughly involved, loving and kind. And wouldn't you believe it that only 22% of Americans believe this? And most of them are evangelical women. Where are my evangelical women in the house today? Let me see all there. Thank you for padding that percentage of those who know that God is benevolent and thoroughly involved. Let me tell you something. Evangelical women, they know God is benevolent. They can go and pray, and that's why you see so many kids come back to the Lord. It's because the power of a mom, the power of a mom to pray on her knees for her kids. So thanks to the moms today, and thanks for being a part of that 22%. So if, if what we think about God is the most important thing about us, and the majority of people believe that God is still far off, where do we go from there, right? We've got to demonstrate that God is up close and personal. We have to demonstrate that by creating environments where he is welcomed to be, right? We, this, every service is not just catered towards what is comfortable for you or what you might like, although that matters, but the highest priority is does this environment, does this culture, does what is taught, do the, the songs that are sung and everything that we do, does it line up with something that brings him honor and brings him glory? Is it something that serves him? Because that's why we exist. Because we've got to show the world what it looks like when the Lord comes. And let me tell you something. If you want to know one of the secrets, one of the answers to how you can get God consistently manifesting in your life in every way. Number one, there is no formula. There is no trick. There is only time. There is only investment. There is only pouring out of your life before the Lord on a day-to-day -day basis. It says in the Word that when His Word lives powerfully within you is when the power is released, right? So we've got to know the Word, but if you want to know about creating an environment and a culture that invites his presence, let me tell you something. We've got to learn how to honor him when he shows up in the room. Right? I'm going to dance on some eggshells here for a minute. Let me tell you something. We've all got opinions about the state of the political landscape in America right now, right? Everybody's got strong emotional opinions about it. But regardless of where you stand, if the President of the United States, regardless of how you feel, were to walk into this room, you would adjust your body language and you would, and you would show honor and treat, treat the leader that the Lord's put in place with respect. So if we're going to do that for a man, if we're going to do that for somebody who's in a, like a four-year office, how much more should we be honoring the Lord when he shows up and manifests in his own house, built for him? 
We adjust, right? And that's one of the things I think that we're so good at, but one of the things we're trying to continually improve and get better at and surf better is surfing in the presence of the Lord. We want to catch the wave. We want to stay on the wave. And the way we do that is by knowing how to honor him when he comes, which means that if he shows up, we're going to pause and stop everything to honor him. You know, when, when Jesus had that alabaster box broken over his feet and that fragrance was released, there were so many people who were critical because it was, it was worth so much money and, and it was such an extravagant form of worship and it broke cultural rules, you know, about a woman entering that room during dinner time, which, you know, I'm glad things are different now. But... But she broke through all those rules and poured out that alabaster box, and it was so extravagant that it was considered wasteful and offensive to some people. Let me tell you something. When the presence of the Lord enters a place, that is the kind of worshiper that I want to be. I want to be so extravagant and wasteful that people might get offended by the way that I'm pouring out my worship before him. And that is how you honor him when he comes because anything less than extravagance like that that offends people is not... It's not your best. It's not everything that you've got inside. And he is worthy of everything that we've got. We're going to worship for all of eternity in heaven. We're going to be involved in, and I believe a lot of different things. And we'll get to this later in my message because we are going to talk about heaven. But one thing we will never be, and I can promise you this, is we will not be bored in heaven. You'll spend a couple million years trying to figure out God. And let me tell you something. The angels have been doing that for much longer than you've ever been. And they still can't get but one word out when they look at him. Holy, holy, holy. So don't worry about being bored in heaven. Don't worry about streets of gold and never-ending man-made services. He's the leader of those services. But anyways, this mentality about God being far off, it's not new to us. It's, it's as old as the hills. It's an ancient Jewish mentality, right? You see, the concept of the kingdom of God, of heaven on earth that Jesus was bringing was that he was pulling from the outer limits to the inner limits. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near and here. Say near. Here. Say again, near. Here. Good job. <laughs> so we talk about first, second, third heaven. I think a lot of times we think about it within the lens of our, of our freedom ministry, right? We go, oh, the first heaven's where we are, and then the second heaven's where the angels are battling, and then the third heaven's where the Lord is. But the Jewish mentality is a little bit different. You see, the third heaven was a physical place beyond the moon, beyond the universe, beyond the stars, like in outer space. And the second heaven was the sky and the clouds that we viewed. they viewed, and the first was the everything around you, the world that you're existing in now. So Jewish people thought that when we, we die, we would go to the, the third heaven, somewhere beyond the universe, a physical spot in this dimension beyond the sun and stars. And then if you rewind back to earth, second heaven in the sky and the cosmos, and then first heaven, the air, the physical space that we live on in the earth. So Jewish understanding at this time believed that the kingdom of heaven was in the third heaven. So it was beyond the air and space on the earth, beyond the sky and the cosmos, and further than the stars. This is where God is. You see, heaven, 
where God exists was separated by an uncrossable chasm beyond the universe that humans will never be able to reach. Spaceships were not in their thought processes back then. It's a realm where only God and angels can travel back and forth too. So when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is near and that it is here, it wasn't just good PR to say that the message is here and people are going to be healed. It was shattering long-held beliefs and paradigms that the kingdom of heaven was across a chasm and a divide that no one would ever be able to cross. Beyond the stars, beyond the sun, somewhere off in the dimension that you'll never be able to reach to until you're in spirit form. And Jesus was saying that it's right here and it's right now that all of that further distance has been whooped back into the earth. And here it is, close enough to touch. Hmm. You see, the belief that God in heaven could never be reached or felt was split when Jesus came, like the veil in the temple at Jesus' crucifixion when the curtain separated from the Holy of Holies. Jesus came and he broke through that and he connected the third heaven, which is so far off and unreachable, to the present day moment where we can, to this day, this morning, we can hear, we can see, we can taste, we can touch his kingdom because of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, it's here and it's near. And this is our radical hope. Our radical hope. You see, the hope of Christ is that we'll choose him, but our radical hope is he is close, he is near, and he is here. Jesus is close to you right now. He is near, and he is in this room with you right now. God's radical hope is to have you and me, and our radical hope is that heaven is here. So, treasures in heaven... They're not just reserved for the third heaven anymore, beyond the cosmos, but in the air and space in which we live, the first heaven. If you can go to Matthew 18, verse 18, I just wanted to throw this scripture out in the air for you. It says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Catch that. There's a connection now to what you do on earth what happens in heaven. He says, again, I say to you in verse 19, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them. By my Father who is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. There is a connection right now in this room for you. Everything you need. It said, Jesus said he'll supply all of those things according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So when you enter into worship, when you press into the presence of God and the glory falls, we, I talked about it earlier, this room becomes a thin place and that which was inaccessible becomes accessible in the same way that Jesus came beyond the universe and stars and cosmos and the sky to the air that we breathe the Lord comes in his glory in this place in a physical sense and is able to supply everything that you need and everything that you walked in. And here's the best part, that what we need, sometimes what we think we need isn't what we need at all, but he knows exactly what you need. So that's why it says in the scripture that when you pray out in the spirit, that with groanings and utterances too, too deep for words, he interprets what your needs are and prays through you in the spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's like heaven's cheat code. How many of you don't know what to pray to God sometimes? 
Just me? Okay. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. Sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes I, I, I don't have all the answers. And when I go before the Lord, if I really don't know what to do, I'll pray in the Spirit. Because then I know I've got heaven's cheat code happening right now. Literally, the Lord, I don't even know what I'm saying. The Lord is praying through me exactly what I need to do. Isn't that amazing? Because sometimes what we think is the solution isn't. How many times do you think like, oh, if I just got rid of that husband or got rid of that wife or just changed the circumstance, you know, things would be different. And then you pray in the spirit and you don't even know it because your heart might be broken. There might be a separate or a divide in your marriage. But when you pray in the spirit, all of a sudden you're praying for your spouse where your flesh wouldn't let you. The spirit allows you. Now, some of you might be like, well, I'm not gonna do that then because I don't wanna pray. Let me tell you, just let it happen. <laughs> Let it happen. Let the Lord pray through you for what you need. You know, there's a reason why he gave you that gift. There's a reason why singing in the spirit activates something within us, right? And it's, it's just another piece of the beautiful tapestry of what the Lord is doing in your life and what he's given you access to, thanks to Jesus who came from beyond the cosmos and the unreachable to the right here, right now. As real as the seat you're sitting in. We've been given access. And you know what the best part is? It has nothing to do with your societal position, your ability, your charisma, your attractiveness. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the Advent season is a time where we can remember how the Father came close, close enough to touch through Jesus. You see, the third heaven, it was understood to be a distinctly spiritual realm containing you know, traveling angels and, and God, but it's, it's now accessible. And so in 2 Corinthians 12 too, you don't have to turn there. I just thought this was really interesting because I've been really thinking about heaven a lot these days. And that's where we're gonna end up landing this plane is I wanna talk to you about our radical hope and what, what heaven might look like in the future for you and how you can actually tap into that third heaven this morning and the Lord can plant resources from there for you now. Um, there's gonna be a, an exchange and a release in you today that I don't know if you were expecting, but it's gonna be pretty amazing. And uh, maybe a little weird, but also really great. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul said, um, a lot of theologians believe he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body, or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Once the wonder wears off, you're just like, come on, you couldn't have given us a little bit, just like, just a little. But we now have access to that third heaven where we can get caught up into paradise and hear inexpressible words, words that we might not even be able to speak. And, and hear, hear my heart on this. This isn't about having some kind of heavenly trip experience where like, oh, whoo, I did something great. I'm gonna write about it. This is a part of your birthright. And without God, without Jesus at the center, heaven holds no interest for me. But because he's there, that's where I wanna be. And I think that you feel the same. Wherever Jesus is, that is where heaven is. The finish line isn't worth it if he's not there. So beyond the stars and the planets is the dwelling place of God beyond the universe. I love this. It makes me think of Star Wars or Star Trek. 
The third heaven is the dwelling place of God. And this is our radical hope this morning that the unreachable has been reached. Jesus has become the gate that was closed and has been opened. You know, when scripture describes heavenly Jerusalem, it describes a gate made of a single pearl. And it's believed that that symbolizes Christ because he's the gate that opens it up, right? God wants to stir up radical hope within you today to allow this revelation of his kingdom being touchable sink into your heart and transform the way that you think about God. Because if you're part of that 78%, quick math, that thinks that God is far away and doesn't care and is disengaged in you, then that's gonna change the way that you live your life. It's gonna change the way that you pray. It's gonna change the way that you expect. It's gonna change the level of faith that you carry. If you believe that you're never gonna get an answer from God, then you will never ask him for the things that your birthright has, has given to you. You see, the Lord Jesus said that you are a part of the family of God. And so that means you can never be written out of the will when you've accepted the Lord into your heart and given your life to him in Jewish tradition, you can write out the birthright. You can write out the, the kids who were born in the family out of the will, but you cannot write out someone who's been adopted. We have been adopted. We are in that will, baby. <laughs> so let him serve this radical hope within you today. Come on, this isn't just like about fluff or name and claim it or prosperity. I'm not promising you'll be rich on the earth. I'm not promising that the Lord's gonna make everything easy for you. But I will tell you that you'll do a lot of crazy stuff for things that are important to you, right? You'll make yourself uncomfortable. I know some of you people sitting in this room, you've waited outside of Chick-fil-A for an entire night in a tent just for the thought of having one free meal a day for 365 days. I know you're willing to make yourselves uncomfortable. I've driven by the Chick-fil-A. Every time they open a new Chick-fil-A, you, if you stay there and get in first, the first however many people? 100 people get free Chick-fil-A for a year. Um, so you have these, these maniacal chicken fiends outside of the restaurant all night in the dark and in the cold. So if you're going to wait for like a fried chicken sandwich you could buy with your own money and you just really want it free, then... It's okay to be a little uncomfortable, right? It's okay to press in and to do things that aren't easy to be close to God. Because if we're willing to do that much for the payoff of a chicken sandwich, how much are more are we willing to do if the third heaven has really become accessible, that everything that Jesus carries is now accessible to you? Don't you think that it would be worth it to press into the word of God so that the word of God would live powerfully within you? It's not like we can just eat a sandwich eight years later and pull on that word. God in his mercy will give you scriptures that you didn't remember that you remember. But let me tell you something. There is something different when his word lives powerfully within you. So if we want to touch the third heaven, then we've got to do everything it takes to get there. Because if it's really the most valuable thing, if we say that Jesus is the reason for everything that we do, the most important part of our life, then our actions should reflect towards that. They should be as, as, as eager and as aggressive as getting a free chicken sandwich a day infinitely more, right? So come on, let's talk about what if. How did the early church see heaven? This is just a couple of fun facts here, just throw in. The earliest evidence of, of the trend of like the church starting to think about heaven is the martyrdom of, I'm gonna try to get the same right, Perpetua, there you go, and Felicity. It's an account of two Christian women 
who were killed in Carthage, North Africa, around 202 or 203. So this book records a dream that Perpetua had in prison just before her and her companions were thrown to wild beasts to be killed. In the dream, Perpetua saw her sickly, her sickly brother, who had died at the age of seven, in heaven, drinking from the fountain of life. And in the same book, other soon-to-be martyred Roman captives envisioned themselves after death, reuniting with fellow martyrs in a garden paradise. There's, there's so many. Clement of Alexandria, one of the earliest fathers, said that the second century, that heaven was above all the place where believers received the vision of God from Christ. Man, I want that vision. And Augustine, he insisted that our heart doesn't rest until it rests in God. And he painted heaven as a long embrace of God, an embrace of, of other people who love Christ. Jesus said that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. And here we are in a position where heaven, which was unreachable, untouchable, all of the things that he could do separated from us. You can touch it now. You can taste it now. We just had a food series. You can eat it. <laughs> Isn't that just like our God to make the covenant that we entered into him something not just that we felt spiritually or in our heart or our minds or our soul, but something that our physical body can taste, touch, and hold? Mm -hmm. So I want to talk to you about the radical hope that heaven is here and near. And if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, has anyone read that? I like that person back. Who was that? That was good. I love it. I, it me and Pastor Steve were on the phone, and we were talking about heaven for about an hour the other day because it's just such a fun topic to just imagine and explore, right? Because there isn't a whole ton of scripture that tells us all about it, but it's just such an interesting thing because this little blip on earth, however many years we get to live, I mean, if we live a good life, we're going to live like, what, 80-something years, maybe more? Um, that's just a blip when you think about eternity, Right? And I was, when I was a teenager and I used to think about heaven, I got afraid because I was like, Lord, I don't want to be just like a bliss zombie. <laughs> Somebody who's just like, you know, runs out of things to do or things to explore or do. Um, but I don't think heaven's like that. So if you read the last book of Narnia, plug your ears if you haven't read these books and you don't want me to spoil it for you. Spoiler alert, everybody dies. <laughs> the world ends. <laughs> And it's, this, it's the new Narnia. And they were trying to describe what it was like because when they got into heaven, the new Narnia where Aslan, who is the Jesus metaphor, is, they said that it reminded them of earth, but it was just like more like the real thing. I think we've got visions of heaven being like streets of gold, wispy clouds, and I don't know, choirs, like big choirs singing all the time. But this is just a, a little excerpt from the book in book seven, last chapter, where they described what it was like looking at heaven, looking at the, the new Narnia. It said it's hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you'll get some idea if you think about it like this. You've been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a mirror. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of the sea or the valley all over again in the mirror. 
and the sea in the mirror, or the valley in the mirror, were in one just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you have never heard but very much want to know. The new one was a deeper country. Every flock and flower, blade of grass, looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. Joe, I'm going to invite you up here, my man. Let's uh, bring this plane in for a landing. Is he no eye has seen or ear has heard, but our radical hope that heaven is here and near. It's more real than what we see. You know, we, we read over and over in scripture, like in Matthew 6, where it says, don't store treasures for yourself up in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? For where you're but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Joe, if we could go into um, homecoming again, when you get up there. Homecoming. Sweet man. Can you guys show some appreciation for Joe this morning? Yes. Continuing on, in 2 Corinthians 18, it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not are eternal. God is not stagnant. You don't have to be nervous about heaven, about losing yourself or being in church forever. Like I said, bliss zombies. But we're finite. Do you get that? Our humanity can't grasp perfect joy in its fullness. Sometimes I wonder if Paul said he couldn't repeat what he heard because it would make people go insane. You know, the Bible doesn't give a ton of detail on heaven, but we, we know the most important part. Jesus will be there. And we're going to experience perfect joy. And you know, there's something about heaven that brings the fullness of joy for millions of years. What is joy? You know, for me, it's like a deep sense of harmony and justice. How many have little kids or had little kids? Awesome. Then you know what I'm talking about. It's like little kids playing in harmony with one another. You're just sitting up in the living room and they're playing together peacefully and you realize it's been like an hour and a half, two hours since you've heard somebody say, Mom! Dad! Just bliss. Fullness of joy. It's like order. It's like peace. It's, it's justice. No worries. You know, if you look all the way back in the Old Testament and you contrast Mount Sinai and, and Zion, people were, when the presence of the Lord came, they begged to not hear anymore because they were too afraid. But you see, what Jesus did when he came, he destroyed the dividing line between you and the Father. He destroyed the chasm that sin created because I think that in the the ancient Jewish culture, we thought it was a separation of stars and universe. But now we see sin was always the chasm that divided us. And Jesus came and he broke through that chasm and he made a way for you and I to be reconciled. 
reconciled to the Father, that in spite of all the things that we've done, in spite of all the things that we've messed up and that we, that we would justifiably not be worthy to enter, the, Jesus in his mercy said, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, pay whatever price there is, so that you can have access to me. Tasting heaven is the fruit that's going to be served by the Lord. There's going to be a constant unrolling of deeper and greater joys. Jesus changed everything. In the Old Testament, Elijah called down fire on the altars of Baal and burned up all the prophets. But when his disciples, the sons of thunder, wanted them to call down fire on a city, Jesus said, you don't know which spirit you are of. There's a difference. Jesus changed everything when he came. Justice, what was needed for reconciliation, the blood that needed to be spilt to make things right between us and God was done through Jesus. He was the ultimate sacrifice and he made the way for you and for me to have this access to him. He paid for it in blood. And when Jesus had the opportunity to call fire down on people who deserved it, he said, you don't know what you're of. Mm. Last year at our Holy Spirit conference, I thought this was interesting. Pastor Benihan, who was amazing, one of the most profound, deep, impactful words on the Word of God that I've ever heard in my life. Me and Ashley still listen to it. And somebody asked him if he's going to be throwing his coat like he used to. And he said, I don't do that anymore. You see, Jesus brought that transformation and he invites us to continually be transformed, to be different. And maybe what you are or what you were was sanctified and set apart for the Lord, but he's calling you into a greater transformation. He's calling you into something bigger. Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He's God with us. And this radical hope, it repositions, it orients our heart into a singular focus that Jesus has come and Jesus is here. Amen. Can we stand up on our feet this morning? I want to minister to you for just a couple of minutes before we close out today. Would you close your eyes and I want you just to just begin to imagine Jesus and imagine heaven. Just let it fill your fill your mind. I've got a I want to have a conversation while while you're praying and while you're picturing. I want to have a conversation about what if. These are all just thoughts. What if about heaven? What if family members get called to the gates of heaven when you arrive? everyone that you've lost, that you love, who's with the Lord now, what if they're waiting for you? What if babies who were lost get to grow up with their parents because they get a childhood in heaven? Think about that. 
when we stand before the Lord, when we look at him, when we end up in heaven, just a minute ago, you may have been dying in a hospital bed, but within a moment, the chasm of the first and the third is crossed, and you see golden streets purified and beautiful, and you see the Lord in all of his glory and all of his splendor. It says in the word that there is no need for the sun because the glory of the Father lights every city. Every street, every building, lit by the glory of God. What if heaven is like my wife's dream that she had about it? She told me that she went to heaven in a dream and that there were a lot of coffee shops. (laughs) Sounds like heaven to me. And as she was walking by, there was a table. Can you... First off, for a second, it seems so natural to me, but isn't that just wild that my wife went to heaven in a dream? (laughs) Um, It gets me emotional. She was walking by, and there was a table with mosaic tile that a tree had broken up from the table. And she thought, isn't that interesting? thought nothing was broken in heaven. What if in heaven the restorative power causes broken items to be restored to their original glory. So when the table broke, it turned back into a tree. What if in heaven, if you break glass, it turns into sand? Hopefully there's a heavenly broom because that'd be annoying. When things break in heaven, they're healed. With your eyes closed, I have a what if for you. What if on earth, when we break, we can be healed and restored. This is the message of Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's near. That which was beyond the stars and the cosmos has been made accessible and is close enough to touch. Heaven on earth says in the word, the Lord said, I'll give you a new heart in Ezekiel 37. I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that if you walk in my statutes and you're careful to follow my ordinances, let me tell you, one drop of the precious blood of Jesus and the stony heart instantly becomes a tree planted by rivers of living water bearing fruit whose branches and leaves are the healing for the nations. Our God, who is love, gave us radical hope by coming close. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And today, I believe that God wants to heal you. I believe that God wants to bring uh, everything from the third heaven into the first right now. So if you if you need healing in your body, would you, would our ministry teams come across the front? And if you need healing for a disease, if you have chronic migraines, um, back problems, I feel like there might be some um, arthritis things happening in people's knees this morning. If that's you, I want you to not wait another second. I want you to come up to this altar as though you were walking into the third heaven when you came up here. And so our teams are getting set up. And I believe, hear me out, God wants to 
release supernatural healing this morning. He wants to eradicate disease from your body. He wants to heal you and release himself. So without any waiting, just start to come forward and our teams are gonna minister to you. I'm gonna pray for you too. You see, one drop of the blood of Jesus will transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He's near and here. And those what-ifs that we just did pull us into an eternal mindset. This changes what our goals are. It, it destroys the fear of death, and God wants to minister hope to you today. So all over this room, would you just lift up your hands or come up to the front? Let's just engage with the Holy Spirit for just another moment. Remember that push we talked about, like a chicken sandwich, but much more. And I want you to continue to picture what heaven looks like. And if you need healing in your body, you can come to the front or raise your hand. But we want to pray for you. But I want you to picture the heaven that Jesus is releasing into you today. Can you just put your hand over your heart one more time? I love that, that we did it in worship. Father, I bless every heart here this morning. Lord, teach, help that revelation to flip from our head to our heart, Father, that heaven is near and here. You are here. You are near to us, Father. Lord, I thank you that... that everything that you are and everything that you hold and carry isn't separated at some place on the edge of the universe but it was made near it was brought close to us that the kingdom of heaven is near enough to touch near enough to touch like our our chest under our hand our heartbeat that we feel lord you are close enough to touch your kingdom is here not just in this room but enclosed in our hearts father in the same way that the spirit of god through Jesus was wrapped in flesh and given to humanity. You've wrapped us, our humanity, our flesh in cases, your presence and your glory. And you live inside of us because of how you've made us righteous. You've made us your own. You've called us sacred. You've called us holy and righteous because of Jesus. And so Lord, we invite you in greater measure, whether it's the first time inviting you in or the millionth time inviting you to take over more. Lord, open up every door of our heart. Be the king and master of it all Jesus that we might demonstrate what the presence of God looks like and how heaven is here in Jesus name amen amen you know that the Lord he knows what he's doing in you he's been God a really long time He's got your story figured out. You don't have to have all the answers today, but if you can surrender your heart the best you can, heaven will invade your life. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.